Good to see you here this morning. We are continuing our series that we've called The Chance of a Lifetime. What we've been doing is we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount and mainly getting the highlights, but taking for the most part the flow of the Sermon on the Mount, which makes my job easy because Jesus really laid it out there. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, who, who, it's the best sermon in history right here. So I'm, I'm just sort of drafting off of his notes and, um, we're walking through it. But what happens if you choose to follow Christ is Jesus aims to change you at the heart level and it dramatically impacts the way you view and approach life and relationships. And it, it turns out to be the best. But you have to do it his way to experience that. If you don't, then you you don't. If you're just sort of halfway following Christ, then you, you don't experience that. And so Jesus, what he does in this sermon is he shows us the upside down approach to living his way. Uh, very backward from our native ways. Uh, for instance, when we face conflict, our, our knee jerk is to flee or fight. We're either going to run or we're going to fight. Jesus says, neither of those. What you do is you sprint toward unity as you get into conflict. You hit the gas pedal. You go toward unity. If you follow him, that's what he wants. And he completely begins to change the way you look at people. And, and he shifts those things. Now, typically, he also goes on and says, we tend to despise our neighbors and we want them to curl up and die. I mean, that's basically what we want. Uh, Jesus says to love them and to pray for them. That's, that's backwards. That's not normal. It, you have to really understand what he's saying, but it, it actually turns out to be your good. We don't have to have ooey-gooey feelings toward our enemies, but... We do what's best for them regardless of how we feel. If we ever get an opportunity to hurt them or to help them, we choose to help. We need to draw boundaries. We keep them at bay. We draw the boundaries. But at the same time, we look for opportunities to bless them because that's what God does with everybody. He makes it rain on the good and the wicked. He pours out his blessings on all. A big part of what Jesus says is uh, he, he wants us to change our focus from using people for our advantage to sacrificing for them. This is what he did. This is what it means if you follow Christ. This, this is what it means. Today, we're going to walk through what he says about money. Uh, he, he mentions giving in Matthew 6, and then he goes on to begin to shape, at the very beginning of Matthew 6, then he talks about a couple other things uh, related to worship. And then, and then he gets back to money, and he, he basically is trying to shape perspective on that. And we're all coming from different places here. That's one thing I, I love about Church of the Valley. We started it to try to... Uh, include anybody who wanted to find out about Christ, to investigate what it means to follow him, to those who are already following, to those who are committed and really want to move on. But everybody, in any given Sunday, we have people from all different backgrounds, different perspectives. And 
the great thing is, especially when it comes to money and Jesus teaching on money, we definitely have a starting point. And what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at where he's going to take you if you follow him. I, I grew up in a Christian home where my mom and dad, they both tithe their income. That means to give 10%, and they gave beyond 10% at times. And actually, consistently, my mom said, you know, God asked us to tithe. You're just doing what he asked you to do. It's not giving until you give more than 10%. And so I grew up in that environment, and I just thought, well, that's what you do. So I started, I had a paper route, I had summer jobs, and I began to tithe. You know, I gave 10%. It's kind of what we do. This is what my mom and dad do. This is kind of what you're supposed to do. And at that point, when my mom and dad were paying the bills, I didn't really feel it, if you know what I mean. (laughs) You know, I handed over the money, put it in the offering, and I wasn't feeling it. But then what happened is I got married, I was responsible for rent, I had bills to pay, and it's at that point when I started writing the check, I'd get the paycheck and then I'd write it and, hmm, first time I started to feel it and I had to think about it. But I decided, you know what, this is what scripture says, this is what I'm going to do, and so I went ahead and gave. I made that a pattern in my life. And you know what I've discovered? It was at that point that it became real to me. It was in that moment when I decided to go ahead and do what I'd already been doing just by having because I thought, well, that's what you do. God became very real in the area of finances to me. And I found out he is faithful. He he provides. We spend good portions of our lives earning our money. That's why this area gets to our heart. And we'll see how Jesus talks about that in a minute. But it reveals our true values, what's really important to us. For many of us, money is the area of our lives where God becomes real. Just like me, this where God, I I mean, it it became real to me. Um, he, He had already been real, but more real. (laughs) <laughs> because I'd spent, I'd started spending a lot of my time earning this money. And God's way is the polar opposite of our native reflex. Jesus teaches that the path to freedom is to invest my resources in what God values, not spend them on myself. Now, that's backwards. <laughs> that's it's very different. Uh, we, we tend to think... Uh, As soon as I get enough money, then I'll be free. I'll be free from debt. I'll be free from worry. I'll I'll be able to do what I want. I'll be free to do what I want. I'll be free to live the lifestyle I want. I can finally arrive at the lifestyle I deserve. But Jesus teaches something very different. He teaches that freedom comes from investing your resources in the right place, not how many resources you have. Freedom comes from where you invest them. We, we pulled some members of the congregation. We asked how adopting Jesus' perspective on money had, had brought freedom. We particularly pulled, I sent an email out to those who had been through the financial peace 
University in January. And I want to share at a couple points in in the message today, sort of what what came back, a couple of the comments that came back. But what we're going to find is Jesus gives a major perspective on finances that they're temporary. Uh, and when you step back and think about it, we don't really own anything on earth because we're just renting for however long we live. We live so many years and, you know, we may be paying a mortgage on a house. We might even get the mortgage paid off, but really we're renting no matter what because we're going to move on to eternity and we're going to hand that house to somebody else. So we're renting no matter what. And that's the perspective that Jesus gives. But here's what folks said related to that thought. There's a sense of peace knowing that it's not my money, so I don't hold on too tightly to it, but I also must not waste it. So there's a sense that, hey, it's, it's not my money, I'm just I'm managing it for a time. It's so easy, isn't it, in the middle of financial trouble to get so wrapped up in what's going on that you feel like this is never going to end. One way or the other, it's going to end. <laughs> One way or the other, it's going to be over. The, the, the trouble you're experiencing right now is going to, So we don't hold too tightly. We want to manage it well. We want to do our best with it. But we, we know it's, it's not going to go on forever. And then another comment was, knowing that I don't own any of my money frees me from storing up money with worry. Next week, what we're going to see is the connection between our attitude toward our finances and overcoming worry. Jesus goes on, and he, he talks about the relationship of these things. And it's, it's going to be very helpful, I think, on, on how to handle those things, how to focus when we're dealing with stress and fear and anxiety. But here's the bottom line. We're given a life. And we make an investment with that life and the resources that come with it. We we decide what we're going to give ourselves to. And our money represents our life because we spend a good deal of time earning that money. So it, it actually represents our life. And like any investment, there's going to be gain or loss, plus or minus. By nature, I'm like the kid who gets his allowance on Monday morning and he spent it by noon. Okay, that's, that's my nature. I'm like, I've already got plans for money I don't have. And, you know, usually, natively, usually something good to eat. Okay, <laughs> candy at the store, whatever. Others of us, natively, we would save that allowance for weeks and weeks and weeks before we spend it. But wherever you're coming from, where, whatever natively you, you, you do, Jesus wants us to stop and think about money and how we handle it. To see a real opportunity to make an investment that will pay dividends forever. That's what Jesus is telling us here. If we, have, if we invest in the right things, we gain freedom from coming up empty and having an eternal loss for the investment that, that we make of our life. So in this passage, what Jesus does is he shows us the way to freedom from the disappointment of investing in things that fade away. Look at verses 19 through 21 of Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There's a powerful relationship. Randy Alcorn said this related to this verse. There's a powerful relationship between our true spiritual condition and our attitude and actions toward money and possessions. Jesus made that connection between money, possessions, and the heart. It's because what I've been talking about, we, we're close to our money because we've invested our lives to earn it. The way you handle your money reveals whether or not you think God is real. That's the bottom line. It cuts to the heart of who we are and what we value. If you don't think God and heaven are real, then you put all your money and mental energy into treasures like cars, houses, always working to get a better car. The new Corvette came out. They set the bottom line. I read in the paper, 78000 bucks. I mean, you see that and you're like, my car is so slow. I mean, it only has, you know, 275 horsepower or whatever. Mine, mine has about 150. I don't know what mine is. But 600 horsepower, that's awesome. And so anyway, if, if you don't think God's real, you get all wrapped up in this kind of stuff. We certainly need enough car. We need enough house. We need other things, food, clothing. We, we need enough of these things, but when you're emotionally invested in them, your, your finances tend to follow, and it affects your emotional well-being when things go wrong. You know, when the kids break something around the house, do you let them have it? Or, you know, what's more important, the, the kid or the thing? What, what, what really counts here? We took that a little far in our house. We, we played all kinds of things through balls and things. And we never had a, for a long time, we didn't have a picture with glass in it. Because we just, we just had fun. You know, it was just stuff. Anyway, uh, I don't know why that came out, but uh, that's a confession, I guess. My wife was very patient. That's what that means. But if you think God is real... You make sure that you have enough, you work hard, you, you make sure that you have enough, but off the top, you make an investment in the things that are important to him and what matters to God. And what matters to him are people and his kingdom, those two things. Jesus is giving us here an opportunity to make an investment that's just as real as the options that you get when you go to the bank. You know, you go to the bank, maybe you have 10000 bucks to invest. There's a lot of options. They've got, they got brochures. They've got all kinds of things. Well, Jesus here is making us an oper- showing us an opportunity, making an offer, we'll say, <laughs> to invest in something that's very real. We can't see it right now, but it's very real, and that's where faith comes in. If we really believe him then we do this we make this investment now how do we make an investment that lasts forever people last forever so as we show kindness to people as we help meet their needs as needs crop up god leads us to to help them out then we do that it's an investment it's not an expense a church that sets its 
heart on the mission of what's important to God. It's focused on helping people. It's what we do. If, if you invest in church life, if you give your offering, that's an eternal enterprise. It's an eternal investment. So these are the things that Jesus is talking about here, investing in. People and the kingdom, the kingdom of God. We also gain freedom from the damage of missing what's important to God. This is the second thing he says about freedom. He says, and I wondered for a while why this talk about the eye was in this passage. is sort of sandwiched between two, two comments about money and treasure. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, what he's saying is, when I was 40, I started having to wear glasses. And I began to appreciate clear lenses. Because if the lenses are all cloudy and messed up, you, you can't see as well. You don't see as clearly. And what Jesus is saying here, the way you look at life, the way you look at your money determines uh, how well you choose what to do with your life and your money. It, it affects what you see. And he's saying that if you don't see clearly, you miss in life situations and in opportunities of handling your money, you miss what's most important to God. So he's saying we need to adjust our perspective, the lens through which we look at these things. We adjust our perspective on life and money to match his. And when you do, when you match God's, you don't miss what's important to God any longer. It's so easy to turn selfish with, with our money and our things. And it's so easy to begin running over people to get what we want to be stingy and not to share out of fear. In in this way, our lives don't flourish, but they wither in significance. This is what Jesus is saying. Relationships are damaged because of the way we handle money and the way we run for our own and because we're intolerant and insensitive and things like that. Finally, Jesus says, we gain freedom from the dreadful tension of trying to please two masters. Actually, it's impossible. We try to do this, try to please two masters, but it's impossible. No one can serve two masters, Jesus says, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We, we can try, but you cannot do it. It's impossible. And it creates a tension that will eventually cause you to snap. He says it's Impossible. So he brings us to a choice. He, he's bring this, in this moment in his sermon, it's, it's sort of a point of decision. He says, you have to decide. And he does this. He brings us to this point because this is the way you find out if God is real or not. You check it out. This is an area where we can actually test God, the Old Testament says. I was on my way to worship this morning, on the way to church, to the service this morning. I was listening to a hymn. It was written in the 1880s during a time when uh, America was in a revival. That means the whole, there were just tons of people 
turning back to God. What happens with cultures is they sort of veer off away from God. And then God does some things and he brings them back. This is, this is all through history. You can see this. Well, this is 1880s, a time when um, people were turning back to God here in America in tremendous numbers. And this, this song was written by a guy named John Samus, and it says this. It says, but we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. That is a fantastic line. And I thought, I, I sang that. I was singing that on the way to church this morning. And I thought, it's exactly what I'm talking about. Because you can't, you don't prove that God is real by holding back. The way you find out that God is real is you dive in. And you do what he says. And as you do what he says, you begin to realize, whoa. He is real. He really comes through. He does this. So that's how we prove his love, is we do. That's exactly what Jesus said in John 14. This isn't in your outline because I thought of this on the way here. What Jesus said in John 14, 21 is, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love him and show myself to him. This is how you get to know God. This is when he shows himself to you is when you lay it all on the altar. Now, God is very gracious. And he what he does is you, you step into the kingdom and you decide to follow him. And he gently leads you to a deeper and deeper commitment to him. If you if you keep saying yes to him, you're going to be more and more committed in following him. It's scary. I think that's why he's gracious. Because at the beginning we're thinking, what's he going to do with me if I give my entire life to him? Well, you say yes. You say, God, here it is. Take my life. And what he does is he begins to work in our hearts to change us, to change the way we view life, the way we view people, the way we view our money. And it turns out to be good, but you never know that until you lay it on the altar. But one by one, things keep coming up that I've got to, okay, God, yeah, yeah, I'm trying. I'm, I'm wrapping my hands around that again. Okay, here it is. Then you prove again the love of God. This is how it works. That's why Jesus says this. He, he doesn't want us to be fooled. He's telling us like it is because he's, he's God himself. Um, if we believe God is real... We're not going to give our lives to pursuit of money and possessions, but we're going to serve him in every way and reap the dividends of eternal investment. Here's a little quiz here at the, toward the end of the message, in case you're wondering if you're clicking off the time, wondering when this is going to be over. We're toward the end. Um, and here's a little quiz for you to gauge where you're at in viewing your money and with this tension of serving God and money and where you're focusing your investment. Here's the first question. Last time you had an opportunity to give someone in need, what thoughts came to mind? I really should. I know I should. 
Do I want to? Oh, I don't know. Was it a feeling of obligation or were you excited to give? Were you excited to, to be able to help? Second question, you just received $300 from a relative unexpectedly. Where's the money most likely going to end up? What are you going to do with it? Where's it going to go? Think back. This is the third question. Think back to the happiest time in your life. What was the condition of your finances during that time? You're invited to a birthday party. Or it's Christmas. What, what factors help you determine which gift to bring or give to everybody outside of your immediate family? <laughs> we'll say that. The best deal you can find that looks pretty good. Make you look not, you know, so you're not looking too cheap. Or a fitting gift and find the best deal on that. You try to think about the person. How, how do you think about that? Last question. How, how did you manage your money last year? How many debt payments did you have to make? How, how was that? Jesus wants us to step back and think through what our relationship is with our money. That's what he's doing at this point in the sermon. It's a decision point. Because it's, it's, it's at the heart of who we are and what we value in life. He's clear in teaching this. He says that we break free from a lifestyle of empty spending by being a generous giver to what God values. This is how we break free. This is where freedom comes from. A major challenge to becoming a generous giver is not to be emotionally driven in our, in our giving. Um, because when we're driven by our emotions, you know, that opportunity to give comes up. And you're like, oh, I feel so guilty. I need to give. When we're emotionally driven, our giving tends to be random and spontaneous. And when the need shows up, we give and we may feel like, feel pretty good about ourselves. Hey, I, I gave. I responded. Whatever it is. If my giving is... Uh, emotional, then I, I don't have a good perspective of what's actually going on with my giving, with my finance. So Jesus wants to stop and evaluate this. It's important that we give from the heart. We need to give with compassion to meet the needs of other people. Uh, we need to give in the, in the moment, in the need as they come up. But Jesus tells us uh, to step back. And to um, think about what we're doing with our money as, as it comes in, how, how is it flowing out, and is there a purpose, is there intentionality to what we're doing with our money? Um, gratitude, not guilt, should drive our giving. But what happens is, hey, that sounds fun. But what happens is our hope keeps migrating from God to money. That's why Jesus brought this up. We keep migrating. Oh, if I just money, money's the answer to everything. If I just had more, it'd be great. Jesus shows us how to stop the migration here. We develop a habit of thoughtful, planned giving to break free from the empty spending and firmly root our hope in God as our master. That's, that's the perspective of Scripture. So now I'm, 
I'm stepping back from what Jesus said because you, you wonder, how do I invest in things, you know, treasure that lasts forever? How do I do that? Well, this is the perspective of Scripture, and we're going to look at a scene from Jesus' life that shows us how to do that. But the counsel of Scripture is this. It's to predetermine your giving, to, to think it through. This means deciding ahead of time how much money you're going to give to different things. The Bible teaches to use a planned, intentional approach to giving. Here, here's a testimony uh, that came back. Uh, that stems from giving thought to what to invest in and predetermining how to invest. One couple said, when we look at our bank statement each month, we want to see that we have honored God and given to the things that matter to him because he has done so much for us. Practically, this means we regularly and joyfully give to things that help expand God's kingdom. When we choose to do this, it brings peace and excitement to see how God will work. You see the values. Their values had completely shifted to, boy, when we give, it's great to see what God does with that. It's exciting to see what God's doing. One couple lost some extra income uh, from painting on the weekends, and they decided to keep giving their tithe and actually to up their tithe regardless. When the Alhambra campus was first starting up, we increased our monthly tithe from 10% to 12% to help defray the cost for that first year. Somehow, <clears throat> we were able, even, in, even though we lost the extra income, we, are, we were able to get by each month at the end of the year rather than drop our tithe back down to 10%. We decided to keep it at 12% and have ever since. Somehow we still managed to get by and are unable to continue, and, and are able, sorry, and are able to continue paying the bills each month. God is truly a generous provider. I've had a conversation with this couple. And they're kind of like, how, how does that How does that happen? It's kind of like loaves and fish. You know, Jesus kept pulling more out of the basket. How, how does that happen? They lost a significant amount of money. It was about $2,000 a month, I think. And they're, how does that happen? God provides. He is real. This is how you find out. You take steps of obedience to follow him and watch him come come through. When we plan for a percentage of our income to be given away, that's what my mom and dad did, and that's when I decided to do the same thing. It's scary. It's a scary thing to do. That's why I had that pause. Oh, I got a rent to pay. I got bills. I got stuff. It's scary. You get a paycheck and you say, okay, First thing, I'm, I'm, sub, I'm taking a chunk off the top and I'm giving it to God. I can't see God, but I'm giving it to him. That's scary, but that's where faith comes in. That's where you find out he is real. He is there. Whether we can see him currently or not, we can see what he does. We can see the impact he makes in the lives of people who are, who are obedient to him and follow him. There's a lot of things I could do with that chunk, but I found the best thing to do is to give it where God wants me to give it. The bottom line is, this shows who we're trusting in. That's what Jesus was talking about. If your trust is in money, you're not going to give it away. But if you trust in God, you give to what he values every time you get paid. And watch him come through every time you give to bless you in, in return. Now, think about what we do here on Sunday mornings at Church in the Valley. <clears throat> we have a huge rotation of volunteers. The big percentage of the group 
who, uh, of the group of members and attenders. Uh, and uh, they wake up early <clears throat> on Sunday mornings to help us put this together so we can enjoy worship, so we can serve God this way. People have made a determined commitment to show up and work hard and get our services up and running. Imagine if we encouraged people to play it by ear. Just just play it by ear. You know, if you wake up on Sunday morning and you're moved, you're moved to show up and get the truck. Somebody, hopefully somebody feels like going to get the truck and drive it here. You know, if they get the truck and drive it here, that's going to be fantastic because then we can unload the truck. And then we can do all this stuff that we need to do in order to have worship. That That's ludicrous. Things would fall apart in a hurry. Nothing would get done. Without the commitment made ahead of time, it'd be impossible. That's what Jesus is saying here. And in related to church life, this is God's plan for financing what he wants done in the world. Thoughtful, predetermined giving to support what he wants done. And to give a percentage in keeping with your income. A percentage represents the whole. That's why it's percent. That's why it's important. And in a scene from Jesus' life, we, we see that uh, we're to give a percentage that represents the whole. God, God's looking at the percentage of what we give, not the dollar amount of what we give. Look at a story from Jesus' life, and you'll see, you'll see how important this is. Mark, Mark 12 says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where offerings were put, and watch the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. So Jesus, people are giving their offerings. He and his disciples, he says, hey guys, come over here. We're going to watch this. We're going to watch as people put money into the offering. Now that, that might make you a little nervous, but he's inspecting. He's just like the couple who looks back every month, try to figure out, hey, how, what are we given to? How do we handle our money? Jesus is saying, we need to step back and think about this. What's going on here? Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Jesus called his disciples over to him to observe this whole thing take place because he wanted them to focus on the crucial issue. What she gave was more than the guy who gave a thousand bucks, more than the guy who gave ten thousand bucks, if they're rich and wealthy. Because she was giving everything. She was giving, she was laying, she knew, she was rich, really, in her heart of hearts, because she laid it all on the altar and she was proving, I, I would imagine she was proving God's love over and over and over again in her life as she set her heart to be generous. In the kingdom of God, percentages, what you're giving to God yourself. He wants 100% of you, and he asks for us to set a percentage amount. It's a tithe, is the pattern in Scripture. Uh, God gives you room to grow into that. But he wants you to think about it, to set a percentage, to predetermine your giving based on a percentage uh, that you've decided on. If you're a Christ follower, this is where you're headed. This is where he's going to take you. If you keep taking the steps one after the other to follow him, this is where you're going. He's going to lead you to be more and more generous because we have a generous God. He's very generous. He gives us all things to enjoy. He, he wants us to have the best in life. 
The way you show how real you believe God is, you obey him, you, you serve him, you do what he wants you to do. And in the realm of money, set a percentage to give to church, to your church. If you're not a part of this church, give a percentage of your paycheck to give. Um, watch God come through as you do that. In addition to that, plan for extra giving. In our budget, we have an extra giving amount that we give. We give to CIV, we give to other things. And then we have this line item, extra giving. And we set a percentage aside for that every month, and we, we look for needs that we can meet, people that we can bless with that. I encourage you to do the same. Now, here at Church of the Valley, we have very, very generous people. Very generous. God has really blessed us. As we looked back uh, a couple weeks ago, we had our business meeting, and we looked back at the last year, and we'd grown financially 12%. That, that was the grace of God. We really needed to because we extended ourselves to, to launch the Alhambra campus, and we're still, still growing into having two campuses. But that was amazing. It's out of your generosity, like the couple who up their tithe to help us do that. God bless them. God bless us. We're, we're a generous group, so don't, don't, don't think that I'm talking about giving because I don't appreciate what God's done here with this group. But I, I talk about giving because Jesus brings it up. It's at the heart of what it means to follow him, the way you handle your, your money and your finances, your possessions. It's at the heart because it's so close to who we are and what we value. Generosity is the upside-down path to freedom. Will you grow toward it? Will you grow in it? Will you let God change you the way you look at things so that you'll grow more and more generous over time? That's where Jesus is going to take us. I'd like to wrap up the message uh, by asking you to think through your next steps. If you'd pull out the connection card, that'd be great. Um, I'd also like to ask the, the band to come back on stage and the worship team to lead us in worship. But take, take a few moments, if you would, to continue filling out any information on the connection card or next steps that we're suggesting. And when the offering comes around when the ushers bring it by. You can drop that card in the offering. That'd be great. But here's some steps that you could take. First one, memorize Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'd be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and, and money. I just remind you that I've got this tension. I need to choose God's way over my way every time. And uh, when I don't, just... Get it right with God and keep moving. Second step, set a four-month generosity goal. We're, we're almost into September. Think through. Take some time. It's probably going to take some time. You need to pray about it, think about it, look at your budget. Set a goal from September to December. Well, God, what do you want me to do with my finances here and my giving? Maybe it's set a percentage. Maybe it's up the percentage. Maybe it's look at ways to give extra to people who are in need. We have the Christmas offering coming up. 
that maybe you could start working toward that. You know, we save for Christmas all year. We, we use Christmas offering to bless ministries. Uh, we've been using some of it lately to help us with the Alhambra campus, um, but also to bless other ministries. We've got that coming up. So maybe, maybe it's to start hosting people. Um, hospitality is very close to the heart of God. Maybe, maybe start putting a little extra in the budget to host. Be gracious and kind. Um, and then another step would be maybe to give a percentage, start giving a percentage of my income, set amount that's proportional, 10% or more, or some percentage from 1 to 10 if you're starting out. God's gracious, like I said. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your goodness. And thank you for the fact that you love us and that we can prove that love over and over again by trusting you and obeying you. And I I ask that, God, as you've spoken this morning, that you'd really help us to take the steps of obedience you want us to take, that we might bring honor and glory to you in the way that we live. And, Father, show us exactly how to respond to your truth. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.